Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reporter Podcast. I'm Alex Medin, and I'm your host. Today, to talk about our article, Charting the Cosmos, at RIT's CCRG, uh, I'm joined by Kristen Grant. Hi. I'm the features editor and the author of this article. As well as Monica Rizzo. Hi. I'm an undergraduate physics student who was uh, able to contribute discussion for this article. Great. So just to start us off, Kristen, can you briefly explain what the article is about? All right. So this article was to kind of go into all the work that RIT CCRG, or the Center for Computational Relativity and Gravitation. So I feel like, you know, the past year we've heard a ton of news that has come, come out of the center, but sometimes it's been a little unclear as to, you know, what they actually do. And they've been doing amazing stuff on the frontiers of science. So this article is intended to kind of bring um, some of the accomplishments they've been having into the light. So can either of you guys maybe share one or two of those accomplishments? Most recently, we were able to detect gravitational waves from binary neutron stars. So the LIGO collaboration as a whole. So LIGO is the laser interferometer gravitational wave observatory. And we've made a few detections in the past of binary black holes, but only recently were we able to detect binary neutron stars, which is really interesting and relevant because it had an electromagnetic counterpart. So we saw the detection, the gravitational wave detection, but we also saw light. So it's a two-part detection, and that's that falls under the category of multi-messenger astronomy, which is sort of this new and up-and-coming field. So that's exciting, and we were able to participate in that discovery. Okay, so I'm going to have to break a lot of that <laughs> down so it okay. makes sense to me. So first sure. off, what are binary black holes and binary neutron stars? Right. So um, they're essentially just two black holes or two neutron stars that are orbiting each other very closely. And because they're so close, they'll pull on each other and they start to spiral in. And so the energy they lose appears as what we call gravitational waves, which are like any other wave, but they occur, they're they're ripples in the fabric of space-time is the fancy way of wording it. Um, But they stretch and squeeze space, and we can detect that here on Earth. So we can see uh, what's happening as these two objects spin in towards each other and merge eventually. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so can, can you also explain a little bit what multi-messenger astronomy is? It basically just means we have more than one source for our detection. So we are detecting um, gravitational waves and light signals, so multi-messenger. We have two, two ways to infer things about these detections we're making. So is that how you, you verify that, that LIGO is correct, maybe? Yeah, so for the first detection of black holes, um, th- we only had one source, the gravitational waves, obviously. So that was a verification that we were correct because we have all these theoretical models and we detected the signal and our theoretical models matched the signal we saw. Now for neutron stars, it's a little more complicated because there's light, um, but our models matched the signal and our models for the light curves we'd expected to see matched the, the light signal we saw, so it's like a double verification that we were extra, right? <laughs> okay, so final final like physics questions that I, okay. I, need, I need to understand. Sure. How does LIGO work? Okay, this is actually pretty cool. So um, it operates based on the principle of you have a big laser and you shoot it down two different paths. So light acts as a wave, right? And if you have two different waves, they're going to line up constructively or destructively. What does that mean? 
Um, they're either going to interfere with each other and add. So like the, the peak wave points are going to add together or they're going to line up so that they subtract from each other at some point. Right. So the way we set the interferometer up, that's what the device is called, is the, the lasers come back and they combine in such a way that they add together. or like we, we have an initial state for the way these lasers combine. And so when a gravitational wave passes through one of these arms of this big laser device, it's going to change the length of the path and the lasers are going to interfere differently. So we see that changing interference and we say, okay, a gravitational wave passed through. And the, the really interesting part is um, these disturbances are occurring on the order of like less than the diameter of a proton. So it's shifting the laser by an insanely small amount. And we're just we're seeing these like infinitesimal wiggles in the overlapping of the two beams. So it's really an en engineering like masterpiece. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and if you're a more visual person and want to understand kind of how this works in more of a diagram sort of way, we have been working with our art team to come up with um, kind of an infographic that explains and shows this in a very simplified form how it kind of works. But like Monica is saying, um, this LIGO observatory, the science that went into making it is just incredible. You need super accurate lasers. The optics on the mirrors that reflect them back are also just at such an incredible level. Um, like Monica said, you know, these um, gravitational waves are only changing things by, you know, a very, very small distance. So much so that Einstein, who first theorized gravitational waves, didn't believe that humans would ever be able to detect them. So this is a huge accomplishment uh, for the physics world because, you know, it's, it's proof of all these things that, you know, Einstein posited years and years ago. So it's, it's pretty clear that this is a major step forward in, in the field of physics. Um, what does this mean outside of physics, you know, for the rest of us? Like I said, it's a, it's a very incredible engineering feat. So it's, it's just a lot of technological advancements have came, come out of this, I think. And it's relevant to everyone because we're learning more about where we came from, honestly. That's like the goal of physics is to learn more about where this all came from. And specifically with the neutron star discovery, we now know that um, heavier elements come from the merger of two neutron stars. So uh, we discovered that this specific merger resulted in the production of gold and platinum. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. So you, you worked with the, the CCRG, uh, mm -hmm. and that's just an RIT laboratory. Right. Um, but this was like a greater project in general. So what did we specifically do to contribute to the project? Um, our group did a lot of data analysis. So my advisor who I work with, Dr. Richard O'Shaughnessy, um, performs this analysis technique called parameter estimation, where you look at the gravitational wave signal and you perform statistical analysis to say, okay, I think that it came from a binary with these source parameters, so masses, radii of the neutron stars and spins and whatnot. Um, so it's a lot of computer modeling and math and statistics that we do over here. I like It's a lot of interesting problem solving, I think. Um, so what do you guys think this sort of contribution to research means for RIT as a university? I think we were able to contribute to something really incredible. Um, it's definitely, I think it's a 
incentive for more younger students to join the research community. At least I know a lot of my peers are excited about this and want to participate in more research. So I think that's a step forward for RITs, bringing in more young researchers. But That's great. Yeah. Um, so what do you see as the next steps for, like, this research? Is it, like, gravitational waves and then, like, teleportation? Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, so LIGO is definitely going to keep taking data. We have an, our last observing run ended, but we're going to start a third next year at some point, I think. Um, but the future is actually space-based detectors. So we want to make LIGO in space, basically. It's called LISA. So what's the benefit of putting it in space, other than that's just really cool? Yeah. <laughs> There's less noise, actually. So one of the things that we have to do for our ground-based detector is subtract noise because there's a lot going on in the Earth. There's, like, earthquakes. And you can even pick up stuff like a refrigerator in the, the building next to the detector. And in space, you don't have that. It's it's a lot less noisy, and it's a lot easier to pick up uh, quieter signals. So, so does that mean they're going to have to put a two-and-a-half-mile tube in space? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I'm also curious what this research means, I guess, kind of personally for you. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it like? Because you're undergrad, right? Right. So what's it like working on a huge, you know, science-forward major project as an undergrad? Um, it's pretty incredible. It's a little bit unbelievable, honestly. I never thought that LIGO would detect binary neutron stars while I was still an undergrad because that's the sort of work I've been doing for the past three years is working with um, how to deal with neutron star detections and how to um, analyze the data if we were to get any, and we did, like out of nowhere, really. Um, So it's exciting, and um, it's sort of a motivation to keep going forward with this. So, so Kristen, as the author of the article, what what does all this mean to you, I guess? Because, you know, you chose to write this, so what? Yeah. So at first I was kind of nervous because, as I mentioned in the article, I'm a design student. <laughs> and I was like, am I the right person to be writing this article? You know, should we have someone with a bit more scientific background? But I think what's been really fun is that I got to learn all about what the CCRG is doing. And I didn't really know anything beforehand. I think I was able to write an article that, you know, was a bit more approachable because of it. And I think that also, you know, every day we kind of get stuck, you know, and and just going from our day-to-day activities where the CCRG, what they're doing is they're focusing on something that's so much bigger than ourselves, I guess. You know, they're looking at the universe and they're trying to find out more about it. That's just incredibly inspiring. And just all the collaboration that had to go into, you know, making um, LIGO happen is also just incredible. And I feel like sometimes it, it can be hard not to feel a little hopeless, especially in today's modern climate. And to see something like this where hundreds of scientists, like, came together and made this happen and discovered and confirmed something that, you know, a bunch of people thought could never happen. It's just, it's really incredible. I'm even getting like a little emotional talking about it. I'm, I'm glad it moves you. And I'm also glad that, that you uh, made it more approachable because I would not have been able to understand the article at, at like graduate level physics speech. <laughs> but I think that's going to be all the time we have today. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media. 
Um, we're at Reporter Mag on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as Reporter Mag on Snapchat. Of course, make sure to read the article when it hits the stand or goes up online at reporter.rit.edu. Uh, and finally, before I sign off, as usual, I'm going to ask you guys to call rings. If you remember Yik Yak, it's kind of like that. Anonymously, you can text in, you can call, share your opinions, and if they're fun, they'll get put in the magazine. Uh, so the number for that is 585 672 4840.